Good morning. Boy, guys, we are just clicking through everything this morning, and I'm sure you guys are concerned we're going to be out by 11.45. Don't worry. I will get us back on track. I'll slow it back down. I will pull it back in, and I'll just keep us here a little longer. I whittled it down from like three hours to two and a half, so I think, I think, I think we can still get out in time for lunch today. If not, maybe we'll order some pizzas or something. All right, so last week I talked about the Holy Spirit, and this week I'm also going to talk on the Holy Spirit, and clearly I cannot cover everything. I cannot cover the entirety of Holy Spirit. He is far too great, far too grand for me to just be like, all right, two sermons, here we go. You guys got it all. But the good thing is the Spirit, he searches the deep things of God, and he reveals them to who? He reveals those things to us. So the things that I can't get to, the things that I just, I just kind of glance over because I'm trying to give a big overview, the things that I don't get into leave you with some questions, those things go back to him and go, all right, Spirit, give me wisdom, give me revelation, give me understanding. What are these things? What are the deeper things that you want me to get out of all of this? So we have to remember that in Acts when we look through Acts, that it, the Spirit isn't just like this presence, but he's actually like a, an actor. He's, he's like a person that is actually doing things. You have um, Paul and, and Barnabas, and they're doing the work of the church, and then the Spirit says, set them apart. Like, he was actually in the meeting telling them, all right, do this. And then Paul and his people are going someplace, and, and the Spirit stops them. And he has, he, Paul's having a dream, and like, that he needs to go down to Macedonia to meet somebody. So it's like, this, the Spirit is actually a person. So we actually need to be remembering that, that the, the one that we're asking, hey, reveal those deep things of God, that this is a person, and we actually have a relationship with the person of the Spirit in our lives lives. And if we want to be mature disciples of Christ, we need to be aware of the moving, we need to be aware of his promptings, and just be becoming more and more, cultivating that skill per se, and, and paying attention to what the Spirit is doing in our lives. So, that was just intro. So today, obviously we'll be talking about the Holy Spirit, specifically we're going to be talking about the image of God, and how, how, how he helps us walk the call of God out in our lives. So why is this important to us, right? I mean, that's the question, like, why am I talking? Why should you guys be listening to anything that I'm saying? So have you ever wondered why God has put you here? Like, what's the reason that you are actually here? What, like, why am I alive? Why are you alive? What are we doing? What is our purpose? What is, what is it that we're all here for? Like, isn't that a pretty big fundamental question? Like, I feel like there's something in that that we need to understand. Do you ever feel like you're not experiencing the power or the life or the reality of God in your life? Are there times that that happens? Oh, shocking. That happens sometimes, doesn't it? So like that, hopefully, we'll get to get into some of that stuff. And, and one of the questions I asked last, year, last week was, have you ever read the Bible and thought that there's more than what we as Christians are, are seeing in our lives. That there's more in the Bible, that there's a greater reality, that there's something far grander, something that we can live into, that the Bible shows us and that we actually aren't living into. So if that's true, and the Spirit of God lives in us, that is, I want us to get into some of that. What does that look like in our lives? How does that actually come out? So, I want to pray, 
I want you guys to be praying with me. I want you to be praying for me, and I want you to be praying for yourselves. So for me, so that I'd be listening to the Spirit and speaking the things that he has for me to say. I want you to be praying with me, just in agreement that we are all in one accord praying together. And I want you to be praying for yourselves that you have ears to hear and eyes to see the things that the Spirit is revealing. Okay? So be praying with me, for me, and for yourselves at the same time here. Father, just again, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your spirit that you come and that you come and manifest yourself into our lives, that you fill this vessel, that you recreate um, from the dust, from the, from the dead things in my life, that you, in all, all of our lives, that you recreate, that you bring us back to what it is to be real humans, to be fully human in the image of you, God, what, it, what that is, and that you actually are the one that makes that happen. God, I ask that you would just guide my words, uh, my thinking, that, that Spirit, you would just be speaking in me, through me, and I'd be moving by you. And that you just give us wisdom, revelation, open our eyes, open our ears, let us see the things that you have for us. Yeah, and that you would be seen as greater and, and the most glorious one. Amen. So if you would turn with me to Ephesians 4, 4, 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Okay, well, Paul, how, how, how are they walking? Like, what is it that they're doing? How are they walking in this? In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, understanding, alienated from the life of God. Well, why are they like this? Because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So put off the old self, right? Put, put it off. Get rid of it. It's, it's of your old nature. It's the, it's the manner of your old life. So put on the new self created in the likeness of God. It's like, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? Like, that's, the, that's what's going on here. So put off the old self, put on the new, the new self, created in the likeness of God. It's the likeness of God. Does that sound familiar? Have we heard something similar to that? Likeness or image, image of God, right? It takes us back to where? Genesis 1, which is where I love to go because there is so much in Genesis 1. So, unfortunately, Genesis 1 has been stolen by Darwin and evolution, and that's where we go. That's where we always want to go when we get to Genesis 1 is, all right, this is, this shows that God was creator, and that is so true. And I want us to make sure that we stick with that, like that is, that is true, that God is creator. I'm not saying anything true of Darwin. There's nothing, that's not where I'm going. But what I'm saying is that there's more to Genesis 1 than just speaking into evolution or just speaking into what Darwin said. So when we take Genesis 1 and we just leave it as something that speaks into the story of evolution, um, we make two critical mistakes. One, we assume that the things that we are concerned about 
were the same things that those people in the biblical times were concerned about. We have to remember that for, for, for accuracy in biblical interpretation that the Bible was written for us, but the Bible was not written to us. So we have to remember who it was written to so that we understand what it means for us. So to accurately understand that, like we have to actually pay attention, think about the culture that it would have been written into, what was that meaning? And to give an example, so if I, if I say the word wicked, somebody give me a definition of that. Evil. Okay, this, this, is, this is one one way that we can talk about the word wicked. What's another way? Awesome. awesome. Cool. Sweet. Like if a snowboarder did this sweet little flip thing, and I was like, man, that was wicked. And I wrote that down. I was like, that snowboarder did this wicked flip, and somebody in the future is reading it, and they're like, oh, snowboarding must be bad. This must be evil. It's like, no, 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 no. Wicked was like sweet, awesome. Like, it was really cool. And so, like, we actually realize, like, we understand the changing of words, and that it was written into our time frame, our culture, and that there is a difference from time to time how we've used these words. So, Whenever we're reading the Bible, we have to understand, like, we understand that in our context. Let's understand that in their context. What was the context? What was the, what was the time f- period in that culture? And what were they thinking, saying, how were phrases used, stuff like that. So the second mistake we make when we leave Genesis 1 in um, just dealing with evolution is that then we jump into Genesis 2 and 3 as the beginning of the Bible. That's, that's where we start. And by so doing, we make the fall, our fall, the key point of the story. And in turn, our rescue is, becomes the most critical part of the rest of the story. And it is important, but it is not the, like, it's not the, the crux of everything. Like, to, we have to go back to Genesis 1 to, to see how it completely transforms that we actually get to understand what our purpose is because we see what God's purpose is. That there's actually a story before us, before we actually begin, and what he actually wants in all of what we are doing here on this world in this world. Okay. We with all, is that everybody with me on all that? Does that make sense? Okay, cool. All right. So, in ancient near eastern context, when a king would take power, he would make for himself or the god that he worshiped, he would make a temple. He would speak orders and people would do things, things would happen like stuff would just come to being. Most of the large-scale statues that we have remain from the ancient world are gods and the kings of those time periods. So specifically in Egyptian, Assyrian, and Babylonian societies, the king was considered to be deity. So in these cultures, image of God was used, but only to reference the king, only to reference him as a deity, as a god. So the last thing that that king, when building a temple, would put into the temple was the image of himself, of a God, of that God. So what do we have here in Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created. So so the Spirit is is hovering over this dark, chaotic, formless mess, and, and God spoke and things came to being, like a king speaks orders and the people move and things happen and stuff comes to being. You have land and water, and you have trees, flowers, animals, fine jewels. You have gold. You have the sun, the moon, the stars. You have, all of the, you have all of the expanse of the heavens, and the last thing that God places into his creation is his image. So, so Genesis 
one is showing us that God is building a temple, right? Like that's, that's what he's showing to that time period, to that culture, going, all right, like this is what God was making from the beginning was a place that his presence would dwell. So when the temple was built, so, that, so that, 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 makes, that makes sense to us then whenever we understand how Solomon built his temple. Like he built it in line with creation. Like he actually took all of the symbolism of creation and actually put it into the temple so that we would see, okay, what God was making is actually now illustrated here in the temple. So when the temple was built, you came in through the outer gates and you had a basin of water that was set on a foundation of earth. So you had earth and water. It's the beginning of creation. What was the place where all the nations, this was the place where all the nations would gather, the sacrifices would be made. Then you'd walk into the holy place, and when you went into the holy place, it was all dark, and you'd just have candles, and you had incense coming up like a cloud, and you had across the curtain all these colors, somewhat like a rainbow, and so you had like all of this picturesque of the heavens. You had the stars, you had the, the clouds and, and colors, and all of these different things kind of representing the image of the heavens. Then you'd have the heaven of the heavens, or the holy of holies, where God's presence is. And it is cut away by a curtain. God's presence is held back by sin. And it's supposed to represent that every time that the Hebrews would come into the temple, that they, that they would understand that the presence of God is being held back by sin. But the whole point was that it was supposed to be through the heavens. God's presence was supposed to be through the heavens and through the earth. Like, that's, that was the whole idea, was the presence of God would come through the heavens and across the earth. That was the picture of, of what creation was originally designed to be, brought into a mini-cosmos of the temple. So it's not. The presence of God wasn't because of sin, which is why it's so significant Then, when Jesus, upon his resurrection and the tearing of the veil, he says, go, fill the earth, you know, multiply, fill it with my image, basically, just like I was originally calling you to do from the very beginning. Like, he's recommissioning them. Like, from what, what, what God did from creation, he's recommissioning them to do again in the Gospels. So may the glory of the Lord cover the earth like waters cover the sea. I mean, come on, how much water is on the seas? That's a lot of water, right? So may the glory of the Lord cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. So I am, you are, a representative, an ambassador of God, an image of God, one who reflects God, not back to him, but back out into the world to show the world the glory of God, to show him who he is and what he has established as the king of the universe. So Genesis 1.26 says, Then... Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So in his image. So in the image of God, right? So if we want to know our image, what is it our image? We actually need to go back a step, right? Back to God. Like that's our starting place. That's where we begin is where, where God is. Who is he? And once we get that, then we can move forward onto who, who we are. What do we do? Because we now understand who God is. So John Calvin, whether you agree with his stuff or whether you don't, he has a great quote, says, Man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he, he has previously contemplated the face of God and came down after such contemplation to look into himself. But though the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves are bound together by a mutual tie, due arrangement requires that we treat the former, the knowledge of God, 
in, in the first place. So we treat the knowledge of God in the first place and then descend to the latter, which is the knowledge of us. So we start with the knowledge of God and then we descend to the knowledge of ourselves. We have to start with him. He is our foundation. He is what we work out of. And that is where everything begins. So in the beginning, God. Right? That's where we start. That's, that's where the Bible starts. So let's move forward to Moses. I mean, we get to see this. Moses is, is out in the wilderness, or he's, he's tending sheep in the, in the desert, and, and you've got um, the burning bush, and God calls him to, to come to the burning bush. And, and God's like, hey, I've seen the afflictions of my people. I'm going to come down, and I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to have you do that. I'm going to send you out to do these things. And Moses is like, who, me? Like, I don't, I'm, I'm not real good at much at all. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I kind of, I have some, I, I come, some, some, sometimes I have trouble speaking. <laughs> and God's like, you can't, but I can. Like, I am who I am. I am everything that you're not. Whatever you lack, I am. I am that. Like, he's more, like, the, the, the phrase I am is more, I am that I am. Like, there's far more to it than that. But at least it means I am everything that you're not. So whatever you can't do, he can. So when, when Moses is, is, is struggling and he's like, I can't do these things, God's like, that's all right, I can. Like, I am, I am that. I am all of that and then some. Like, even the things that you think that you're good at, I'm that and more. I will work through you. So the problem is that Moses thinks that he's doing this for God. The, the thing is that God is actually going to be working through him. There's a difference. There's a subtle difference. It's, it's not that we, oh, we are doing these things for God. It's that we allow him to work through us. So there's a difference there. We have to orient ourselves first to him. That it's not us, that us, we're doing this for him. No, he's working through us into everything that we're doing. That's the picture. So we also understand this f- with Peter. So, so Peter um, and Jesus, and, and Jesus is, is saying, who do people say that I am? And Peter's like, well, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist, some say some of the prophets. And Jesus is like, cool, cool, all right, so who do you say that I am? And Peter's like, well, you're the Christ, the, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, that's right. And now you are Peter. So now that he has reoriented himself to who God is, now that he knows, all right, this is God. He's first found himself. This is where I begin. Now I get my new identity. Now that I know who God is, now I can go off of that. Now I've started where I began with, with, with being in the image of God, knowing who God is, and now I can go off and I can move into who God has actually made me to be. I need to orient myself correctly around God. So as we look at being made in the image of God, we must look at back at who God is. We must reorient ourselves so that we can know who we are called to be. And I do not have time to get into all of who God is today. So unfortunately, you guys are going to have to be spending a lifetime of doing that yourselves. All right, so up to this point, we see God, a king, creating, ordering things, pulling potential out of what he has made He forms man from the dust in Genesis 2 and breathes life into him. But back in Genesis 1, we see him commissioning, we see the commissioning of his image bearers. So Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now this is the part that we start to get the picture of, all right, when God says, this is my image, this is what he's actually saying right here. So, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, so when we... When we see this, we may not realize like this is actually God saying, this is my image. This is the image that I want you to bear forth. And when, when we had the conference a month or two ago or whatever, and Scott Goodwill was teaching, he gave an example. He said, so I have my son, and I tell him, all right, I want you to bear forth, your, bear forth my image into your room. So watch me. I am in my room making my bed. Now I want you to go bear forth my image into your room. And so Scott says, he sends his son away to go do what he has requested. And he comes back and his son has not made the bed. And he's like, buddy, what's going on? And he's like, well, when you said be made in your image, I wasn't sure if you meant like someday I'd be six foot tall, someday I'd have a gray beard. I just kind of like started contemplating it and thinking through it and trying to figure out what you meant by that. Like what was it that you were really getting at? Like what was the whole underlying thought? And Scott's like, no, 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 no. I, I said, I want you to bear forth my image. This is my example is that you're, I'm making my bed. I'm telling you, go do the same. So although the image of God can be great and elaborate, and there's numerous debates on like, is it because we have thought? Is it because we can make choices? Is it because we can do all these things? And all of those things are great things to discuss. Let's just stick with the context of the verse. Like, let's just stick with what God is saying here. He's saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. So these are the things that God has been doing, and these are the things that God is saying, this is what you do. This is how you function, and you move, and this is what you do. You be fruitful. Pull out the potential in what I've created. Multiply. Multiply my glory. Like, make more of yourselves so that there's more image bearers, so that my glory will cover the earth. Fill the earth subdue it, bring the things that, that aren't under my, my kingdom, that, 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 like, that aren't in the beautiful garden, the things that are still out there, that, that like, let's make this a garden. Let's, let, let's make this all something beautiful. Let's, let's bring all of this under the submission of my rule and domain. And so then he says, have dominion or have rule. So he's, he's actually ruling through us. He's ruling into all of our lives, and he's calling us rule. You guys rule. This is how my rule is actually played out, is through you guys into all of the world. So one of the strange things with Genesis 1 is, is that um, in that ancient culture, so who would have been the image of God? It would have been that king. It would have been the elite. So this is actually God flipping that, and he's like, no, 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 it's not the elite. I'm actually making all humanity in my image. So there is no classes. There is no hierarchy. There is none of this. All humanity is given the role of ruling and reigning over all of creation. So we are to be his ambassadors into the world, bringing out his potential, filling the earth with his glory, subduing it, and bringing it into submission of his kingdom. Is that what we did? No, we didn't do so hot, did we? So we kind of messed that one up. So we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Romans 1, 18 through 32 isn't necessarily referencing back to Genesis 3, but you can definitely see the over, overlaying, the interplay between the two, and that 
it's the same thing, exchanging the truth of God for a lie, that what Adam and Eve did is what the people of Israel did. It's, it's what you and I do, that we've given up that image, that we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and exchanged it for something else. And in this, he's going to get into, he's going to be like, and, and so I just gave them over to their own passions. I gave them over to dishonorable things. And, 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 and women, gave, women had relationships with women and men with men. And it's just like, we're like, oh, so that's like, that's what it's all about. Like, that's what happens. And, and it's, and we don't realize that, like, this is actually, like, this is actually a parable. This is actually, like, a, a metaphor for all of us. Like, we are doing, like, we've given, we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We find ourselves in these things. We can't just look and be like, oh, those people, like, those people screwed up. So God gave them over to, a dis- like, to, a, to their dishonorable pleasures. No, like, God actually has, has given us, like, he's like, all right, if that's really what you want, you'll, like, you can go for it. It's like whenever you have a child and you're like, no, don't touch that. That's hot. Don't, don't touch that. Don't, don't touch it. it. Okay, touch it. See, it was hot. You shouldn't have done that. So God's like, all right, don't be doing these things. Okay, fine. If you want to do that, go for it. But you will see that I am good. I am better, that I have more life in me, that I have created you for things that are higher and better. And I want you to be moving in those same ways. And so like he's constantly calling us back, constantly calling us back to these things. But when we read this, we can't be looking at them, those people who who live those lives. Like we need to see ourselves through these same things that what Adam and Eve did, what the people of Israel did, what is what we do. Like, we find ourselves in this passage. So when we read this, the they, the them, that's us, okay? Like, let's pay attention to these things. So, Romans 1, 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that, we have been, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God and, gave thank, and, and give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory, the glory that God put on us to put out into the world. Like we exchanged that glory. We exchanged uh, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling man and birds and animals and creeping things. So we gave up the glory that God bestowed on us and exchanged it for for, for a lie as opposed to the truth. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts gave them, the, those people, which we find ourselves there, in hearts to impurity, to the, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. Have we ever had that in our lives? Malice, they were full of envy, murder, strife, deceitfulness, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, 
haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. That one found its way in the list. That was crazy. Foolish, faithless. Have you ever found yourself to be faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die? They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory that God has bestowed upon us to live out his glory into the world. It's the story of Adam and Eve. It's the story of the Israelites. It's our story. So the creator king, he finds, after this fall, he finds a new man, right? He decides he'll start all over. He floods the earth. He removes the evil, and he recommissions Noah and his family. In Genesis 9-1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Hmm, that sounds familiar. He's just like doing the same thing. He's like, I want you to do the, what I called you to do from the beginning. Like, this, is, this isn't changing. This is what I've called you to be. This is what I called you to do. Do these things continually. So it doesn't take long. The people start to make their own kingdom again. We got the Tower of Babel. God's response to that isn't so great. He doesn't want that to be the case. So he, just, he switches. It was really great. Like it was, We're not supposed to be building our kingdoms, but to us it wouldn't be great. So humans are setting up these kingdoms. So he disperses them because they can't, they can't speak the same languages. So he takes Abraham and he wants to make a new people, a people of like God's own people who are going to be in line with what he has called them to be, to be actually the things that he has designed from the beginning. And the same thing, he basically says the same thing to, to Abraham. Basically, I'm going to give you this land. Be fruitful, multiply. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make your, you, your, um, your generations just be abundant. Like you're going to have lots and lots of people that are going to come out from you. So be fruitful, multiply, the earth. It's the same story. They end up as slaves in Egypt. The people reject God. God wants to start all the way over. He wants to get rid of all the people that he has taken out of Egypt. And Moses is like, no, don't do that. That wouldn't look good for you. Like, that would not look like the gracious God. That would not look like the God that we know that would take us out, but then destroy us. And, and, and Moses is like, no, you can't do that. So then fast forward, the people are in Israel. Now they want a king, right? They want a king. They want somebody to lead them. They want somebody to rule over them. They've rejected God as their king once again. Hmm, that sounds familiar over and over and over again. Saul's anointed. He fails. David's going to be anointed. And the reason that Saul is, is being taken off is Samuel says, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. So he sought out somebody else, a man after his own heart. So somebody who actually lives out his image to, to, to actually be what he is called. So I, I, he, has an Im, he has the heart after God to actually live out in obedience the things that God has called him to do and to be. And so he is actually like, this is the king that I want. This is the kind of king, one who actually does the things that I've called him to do. So David is anointed. He's given the kingdom. He has a heart after God. The people of God, again, don't follow God. So we have Isaiah 7, chapter 7 through chapter 12. Israel um, is described as a tree that is chopped down. The stump is burned. God says that this stump is a holy seed and it will survive. God says he's going to send forth a new king uh, called Emmanuel. Emmanuel's kingdom will set these people free from their oppression. So we have in this image then that Isaiah is describing that there will be a shoot that will sprout up from this stump, from this root of David, and, and this will be the new messianic king. And it says in Isaiah 11, 
1 through 2, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his shoot shall bear, fru- shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Well, that was perfect timing. Woo! Get that thunder. Man, I got to time that better. Who's doing the sound effects over there? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was right. Perfect. That's a good amen. (laughs) All right. So then we move forward from there. And we move to Ezekiel 34 through 37, and, and God is saying he will raise up a new David, a new person to shepherd his people, a new messianic king that's going to actually take his people and actually rule them to bring them into what he has called them to be from the very beginning. He's going to, give, he's going to transform their hearts, take out their heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh. He's going to make new people. He's going to bring his spirit onto them. He's going to transform them into the people who can actually love and serve and be obedient to the things that he has called them to be. And then we have Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones. And God's spirit comes to bring life back into these dry bones. So what do we have? We've got dryness, we've got dust, we've got bones in the breath of God. Genesis 2, right? The breath of God bringing life back into what was not life, what had no chance of life. And God speaks and breathes life into them. He transforms them from dead things to living things. He brings these new people who can go out and transform the world. Like that's the whole plan from the beginning is these people who will actually live with his spirit, live in accord with him, and will actually live out into the world and be transforming the world around them. That is what we were called to be. But the problem is, in this, at this point, it's only a vision. The king hasn't been sent yet. So they were waiting for the fulfillment of this prophecy. All right, good news. We just finished the Old Testament. Now, on to the New Testament. So, Jesus. All right. So all of that, what I just did, that was all just foundation to get us to a place where we understand where, like, where, where God ha- begins to change things, all right? So like, I just wanted to lay a good foundation that we get an understanding of, all right, this is what we're designed for, this is how it's kind of gone over and over and over and over again. But there's always hope. Like There is this prophecy that there will come a new king, there will come a new one who is going to rule and reign, and he's going to bring us into his life, and his spirit is going to be in us, and he's going to transform us from dead things to life live things. He's gonna, we're going to put off the old self, put on the new self, created in the image of God, in his likeness, to live out his holiness and righteousness into the earth, all right? So like that was the foundation that I was laying so that we can move out from there. That's a lot of amens. I don't know. <laughs> all right, New Testament. Jesus whole ministry, his mission, his kingdom message were all linked to the work of the Holy Spirit. He was appointed by the leading of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit for the kingdom message to be brought, that he was a king from the beginning, and he is coming as the ruling, reigning king again. So Jesus was empowered by, he was led by, he speaks by the Spirit. Jesus' baptism, we have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and he is, he is being filled with the Spirit. He is led into the wilderness by the Spirit. He is tempted, and when he comes out of the wilderness, it says he's full of the Holy Spirit, he, or he comes, out of the, he comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit and begins speaking, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. 
So the kingdom, that's his message, which is the message from the beginning of the Bible. This is the message that he's now bringing. He's like, all right, I am the fulfillment of all of those things. I am that. And he reorders life. The lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, the people are healed. Like this is him being the fulfillment of all of these hopes and dreams that these Jewish people had. Jesus' whole ministry is one of the kingdom and the spirit united together. He speaks like a king with authority. He calls things into being that aren't. He's led by the spirit. He speaks by the spirit. This is why the religious leaders got mad. They wouldn't have gotten mad if he was just like, hey, I'm going to do some miracles. I'm going to heal some people. I'm going to do some stuff. But he's actually saying, all right, all those prophecies in the Old Testament, that's me. All of them. That's me. I am the king. There was a promise of a king who would come and reorder society, who would come and change the way things were, who would come and, and set captives free, who would bring life into the people who were dead. And he's saying, that's me. I'm, I'm that person. And the religious leaders are like, you can't do that. That's not cool. So the religious leaders got mad. They weren't too happy with this, uh, his claiming to be the one reordering the society. Paul writes in Colossians 1, 15 through 22, that, so that he, is, he is the king declaring his kingdom. So Paul writes, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body which is the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, in everything that he might be preeminent. That's the way it's supposed to be on our lives, that in everything that he is the preeminent one in our lives. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. So this is the same kind of thing that Paul then writes in in 1 Corinthians 15, that we have this new spiritual existence, that we find ourselves in him, that this is where like, we actually get to walk into his resurrection power, that we get to walk into the fact that the spirit of God that raised, that raised Christ from the dead now lives in me. I get to live out of that. So Paul's like, all right, this whole thing, this whole sp- uh, spirit-empowered existence, that's what you guys get to live into. You get to be a part of that. And so we have all of this dead stuff being transformed into new th- life things. So in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44, and verse 49, it says, So it was with the resurrection of the dead. It was sown perishable, but it was raised imperishable. It was sown in dishonor. It was raised in glory. It was sown in weakness. It was raised in power. It was sown in a natural body. It was raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Just as we have been born of the image of the man of dust, we shall also be born of the image of the man of heaven. And this is our hope, that, that that's what we actually get to live into, that we get to be made into. Christ, like we're being transformed into the renewing of us so that we can become more and more and more like Christ, that we are being changed into his likeness every day. So this is a spiritual truth that we get to live out into our physical reality. The question then is, do you see yourself more for what he has done 
or more for what you have done? Do you live more in the identity of the fall or in the resurrection? Where do you find your identity? More in the fall or the resurrection? Through sin or the image of God? Why do we allow the power of sin to be given so much power? Like when we have the free gift of righteousness pitted against sin, who wins? Righteousness. But we give so much power to sin in our lives that we forget how much power the free gift of righteousness has. Our ability and our capability to sin does not make us ones to have to sin. We have been robed in righteousness, washed by the blood, born into a living hope and a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have the mind of Christ. I'm a son. I'm an heir. We must live as ones who are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Think on these things, right? Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. We are one in Him and He is in us. In Him we live and move and have our being. So this is all possible because it's not our work, it's his work. He's the one doing these things. He's the one transforming. He's the one in us. He is the one who's put his spirit in us so that we can live out into the world to be doing these things. So we need to be careful. One of the things that I think that, was, that I struggle with, I think other people probably struggle with, is that we need to make sure that justification is shaping sanctification. I think all too often we let sanctification shape our justification. So when we sin, and sanctification is a process, when we sin, we're like, oh, now I've got it like, now this is the way I see myself is in a sin and that's the way God sees me. No, God sees you as justified through his son. Justification shapes sanctification. We live out of justification. Sanctification is a process that we move into, that we grow into the likeness of Christ. So in our lives, sin happens. It's a part of sanctification. It's a part of growing. It's a part of the process of the aim that we aim for to be imitators of God, that we aim to be like this. But justification shapes our sanctification. We cannot, we cannot let sanctification shape our justification. When we do that, we, we do as, uh, as when they were looking for Jesus at the tomb. Why do you look for the living amongst the dead? Why, when, we, when we let sanctification shape justification, we're like, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? Like, that's the thing. Like, that's the, that, that's the, that's the question that should be asked to us. The justification is we are right. We are sons. We are heirs. We are these things. We are the righteousness of God in our lives. It's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. So this is the reality of the resurrection. This is the truth that has been given and bought. And this is the reality that we can actually, like, this isn't just me speaking fluffy things that sound cool. Like, this is actually what the word of God says. Like, do we believe that? Do we actually realize what this means? Do we actually realize that this is changes absolutely everything in our entire lives if we actually realize that we have the spirit of God in us, that we can say no to ungodliness, we can say no to unrighteousness, that we live as saints. What is saints? A holy one, someone who is set apart, someone who is blameless before the Lord, that that is what he has called us to be. That is who we are. Do we know our identity in Christ? 
Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, right? That is the truth. That is the case. But is that true of you? Is that true of me all the time? That's what we're working towards. That's the process of sanctification. But we live out of justification that this is the way God sees me, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And more and more and more and more every single day, it's more and more Christ. If I walk by the Spirit, I will not give in to the lust of the Spirit, or lust of the flesh. If I walk by the Spirit, I will not give in to the lust of the flesh. I need to be walking by the Spirit, by the Spirit of God who's producing the fruit into my life, that it is His fruit that is being produced into my life, that is being produced into the lives of the people around me. He became what we are so we could become what He is. He became what we are so we could become what he is. Living as true humans, image bearers, he was the exact representation of God. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in me. He makes me new. He transforms me. He doesn't just save me from hell. He's actually bringing me back to being in the design that he designed me to from the very beginning. And his stride is not so great that I can't find my feet in his footsteps. So then, when Jesus commissions his disciples, we are being told the spiritual truths that we can actually live out into our physical reality. So in, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth. I think sometimes we get to a point where we're like, yeah, All authority in heaven, but we're not really sure that we see that on earth. No, but it says, All authority in heaven and on earth. So all of it. This is a king speaking. I rule and reign everything, actually. That's the case. That's the truth. This is the reality that you can live into. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, because of this authority, go, therefore, I'm sending you because I am the king. I'm sending you out as the one who's ruling and reigning. I'm sending you. I'm saying, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, everything that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Then we have a similar rendition in Mark 16, 15 through 18. It says, And he said to them, Go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Boy, that's a completely different kind of existence than what we live in, right? Like, these are the things that follow us. Like, because we have the Spirit of God. Like, this isn't just human bodies now. Like, we actually have the Spirit of God living in us. He is the one that's, that's transforming this. So as they pick up serpents, no big deal. I drank some poison. No big deal. I'm not all that terribly concerned about it because I have faith in the God who created me that if he sent me, that he will be with me. He'll be moving through me. That this is the case of the people who, are, who, who follow him and go out. This is the truth of the reality. So this commission is just like Genesis 1. is saying, go, fill the earth, multiply, make disciples, bring it, bring it under my kingdom, subdue, bring it into the way that was designed to be from the very beginning. Bring order out of the life and of the chaos. Rule through the authority and the power that I have given you. It's my authority. It's my power. And I'm telling you to rule and reign through this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. 
spread the good news of the kingdom. And the only way that we can do that is by the work and the power of the Spirit at work in our lives. So like, what does that look like? How do we actually live these kind of things out? So let's turn to 2 Corinthians 3, 2 through 8, and then 17 through 18. This is actually one of my favorite sections of Scripture. So this should only take about an hour and a half to get through, I think. Yeah. So... You yourselves, so this is 2 Corinthians 3, 2 through 8, and then we'll skip in a minute to 17 through 18. You yourselves are, letter, are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of his new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now listen to this part. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on Moses' face because of his glory, because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the Spirit have even more glory? So he's like, all right, so Moses, he gets the Ten Commandments, he gets the law that's not bringing life, and he comes down, he's been in the presence of God, and he is just radiant. The people can't, like, they can hardly look at him. And Paul's like, if that, if that was the law that didn't bring life, and now we have the life, we have the spirit that does bring life, whoo, whoo, ho, ho, think about that. Like, if that's what Moses was like, we have the spirit of God in us, how much more glory, how much more radiant, how much more magnificent the glory of God being laid out through all of creation, through his people, through all of us, living as his body into creation. Now, verse 17, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. Freedom from all of these things. Freedom from the old self. Freedom from the things that have brought you into bondage, right? He actually came to set the captives free. So he actually brings freedom. We actually live in freedom. There's a liberty that we get to live into that is so different than what we commonly live into because we're not actually understanding what we have. We don't know who we're called to be. We don't know what it means to have the spirit of God living in us, that we still live bound up. Well, that's crazy. What slave who's been set free wants to go back to his old master? Who wants to be rebound up? No, we have the spirit of God within us. We actually get to live free. It's the spirit of God in us that frees us to do these things. And we all, in verse 18, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We are, we are being transformed into the same image, into his image, into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So let's go back real quick to the beginning of 2 Corinthians 3. And it says, So you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the, on the tablets of human hearts. So you are a letter, right? You are a letter written by God. You're a letter that, that the Spirit has written on our hearts, not on, on tablets, but on our hearts. So we are a letter. We are the words of Christ being manifest into creation. We are, as it were, the Word made flesh. 
we actually get to be Christ into the world. Like we are the word made flesh into, we are becoming that. I'm not saying that we are gods. I'm not saying like that that is what we are. I'm saying that the Bible says we are being transformed into his likeness and saying that we are living epistles, that we are the words of God being lived out into the world around us. We are the word made flesh into the world. That is our identity. So don't just read scripture to know the word, become the word. Don't just read scripture to know God, but be, read it to be being transformed, be being transformed into his image. Don't just speak the truth, but become the truth that is. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ controls me. It compels me. It is what I'm motivated by. So when we're living all these things out, you know what? I want to see all of these miraculous things. I want to see all of these miracles. I want to see all of these healings. I want to see all of these things. But if I don't have love, I'm just a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. So I want to start there. I want to be compelled by the love of Christ. I want to be motivated by the love of Christ, that the love of Christ would be so indwelt within me that that is, like, the, the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit, that's just supposed to be normal. Like, that's part of being in the kingdom. Like, that's part of the reordering of society. That's part of bringing dominion. That's part of the ruling. That's part of just the life that we are called to live. It's not like, oh, man, I got to work something up, or I, like, I just need to be around these people. Like, no, that's, we just need to be, be motivated by the love of Christ we just need to be living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, and these things actually is just supposed to naturally happen. Like this is just supposed to be our lives, that people are healed, that we're speaking with these tongues, that all of these things are happening. It is the life of the Spirit and the kingdom combined together that that is the norm, that is the way that we live, that is the function that we actually move from constantly. We want to be the, become the embodiment of that love we, if we don't love, we are a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. Let the love of Christ control you. Let it compel you. Let it motivate you in everything that you do. And as that happens, the, the Spirit will just continue to manifest himself more and more and more. And you will just be like, you're just going to be bringing the kingdom. Like that is the message of the gospel, that the kingdom is here, that the kingdom is coming, that you are being restored to all of these things. All right, so let's bring this thing full circle. I don't want to, I don't want to miss out on Revelation again. So like, we got to get back into there. Um, that way we get the whole Bible. We started Genesis, finished in Revelation. It's a good place to go. So Revelation 22. So we, so let's get back to the commission in the garden to bear his image, to rule, have dominion over all that he created. So in Revelation 22, what do we have? We have the throne of God. We've got this stream. Um, that looks like crystal. It's the stream of life. It's the tr we've got the tree, the tree of life, the fruit, the leaves. And then it says that, that we, his servants, will worship him. And then in verse 5, it says, and they will reign forever and ever. Come on, that's too good. That takes us back to the garden. That's too good. He's like, and they will reign forever and ever. That's exactly what we were called to do from the beginning. Garden ruling, reigning into all of creation, that that is what he has called us to be. And it finished, like last chapter of the Bible, we get to rule and reign the way that we were called to be, the way that we were designed to be from the beginning. And that's how it concludes. So it took God binding himself to humanity in the form of his own creation to then actually live 
what he has truly called us to be. He actually lived what it was to be the image of God. He actually lived out what we were called to be. That he is the only human to ever actually live as a true human, what we were actually designed and called to be. So if we want to know what it is to walk by the Spirit, if we want to know what it is to live by the Spirit, to speak by the Spirit, let's look at Jesus. And that's totally cool to look at Jesus and learn about the Spirit because Jesus actually says, the Spirit brings glory to me. Like it's all, the Spirit is actually revealing the things that I want to teach you. The Spirit is actually talking all about who I am, that I am actually the embodiment of all of these things. And the Spirit is revealing that to you. He's revealing the deeper things of God through his Spirit spirit to you. So the image of God becomes restored in us when we find ourselves united with Christ. That is when the image of God takes root, takes hold. We go back to the garden. We go back to the beginning where we were called to actually live as image bearers, those who actually have rule and dominion, be fruitful, multiply, subdue those things that aren't in the kingdom, bring them under my rule, bring them into my kingdom. That is, that we find that when we are united to Christ. And Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. If we, if, if we are imitators of God, if we're doing the things in him, his image, that's like, just like Scott had said, like, all right, I'm making my bed. Now go do these things. Imitate what I have done. He's saying, be imitators of God. Walk out that image. Walk out the image that I've called you to from the beginning as beloved children and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, and sacrifice to God. So we are being transformed into his likeness day by day. He predestined us to be conformed into his image. He was the firstborn among all creation. He says, in your going, make disciples. I have given you all authority in heaven and earth to do these things. The things that you see me do, you will do these things and greater things. Let's not discuss quantitatively or qualitatively or whatever. Like he just says, you're going to be doing these things and greater things. I really don't care to discuss that too terribly much. Let's just live the life of the Spirit. Let's just live compelled by the love of God. Let's just live as ones who actually walk by the Spirit, speak by the Spirit, are led by the Spirit. And you know what? We don't have to debate it. We don't have to discuss it because those things are just going to be coming out of our lives and we're going to be seeing that the, that the things that he did and greater things, we'll actually get to see the manifestations of those things because as we discuss them and as we argue and, dis- and figure, try to figure these things out, those things actually aren't happening. But if we're actually living by the Spirit, if we're actually doing what we're commissioned to do, if we're actually doing the things that we're called to be, we won't have to discuss them because they will actually happen. And I personally, and I hope this is true of you, I want to live a life that, that cannot be explained by wisdom. It can't be explained by intellect, wit, or savviness. It can only be explained by someone whose life is so transformed and so saturated with the life of the Spirit that that is the only way that I function. Like, that's the only way that, that any of this makes sense. Like, I can't do these things, but it's because I'm saturated with the Spirit. It's because I walk by the Spirit. It's because I live by the Spirit. I'm led by the Spirit. That's the only way. It's not wisdom. It's not intellect. It's not the savviness. It's not any of these things, the only way that any of this makes sense is if our lives are saturated with the Spirit and we walk and move and live and have our being through Him. Renewed humans are and should be in the middle of everything. They, by the work of the Spirit in them, are changing and bringing order back into this world. 
as image bearers with his nature in the new creation. We don't reflect God back to God, but we actually reflect God out to the world, an angled mirror of sorts that we actually, we're, he doesn't need us ref, to reflect his glory back to him. We reflect it into the world. His, his, his glory covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. Like that's what's happening. His glory is filling the earth with us going and doing and being and walking by the spirit and bringing his kingdom. We are to bring the reality of Christ's kingdom and the life of the spirit as the hope to this broken, chaotic, and disordered world. It's us bringing Christ's kingdom and the life of the Spirit, which is the hope to this broken, chaotic, and disordered world. So, we started in Genesis. We see this is the image that he created us to be from the very beginning, right? And we failed over and over and over again. He promises that there will come a day where we actually get to live into this this new reality. And then his son comes, the messianic king, the one who's actually going to bring us into this, who's actually going to bring his spirit on us so that we can actually live this out into all of creation. And the Bible wraps up by saying, and they will reign forever and ever, which is the call that we had from the very beginning that's what we're called to. Stephen, why don't you just give that two-minute summary that if, instead of wasting the last half hour, 45 minutes, I don't know, however long it was. But like that's, like, that's what we're called to. Like, that's what we're designed to be, is these image bearers, is these people who actually have the Spirit of God in us. And this isn't just, again, this isn't just me speaking a bunch of fluff. This isn't me speaking a bunch of just stuff that sounds really cool and pretty, but you try living my life, Stephen. No, it's not me living my, your life. It's not even you living your life. It's Christ living your life. It's the Spirit living through you. So don't tell me, why don't you live my life? I don't need to. You don't need to. It's the Spirit living your life. All right, so we're going to move into communion. And this is like, this is where we actually get to come and join, join up with him, where the Spirit of God, where Jesus Christ himself, he, we, we were united one together with him. And just like, just like in, in Ezekiel 37, where, where it's this new, the Spirit comes, and he breathes into them, and it's this new flesh, and this and new tendons, and, and blood, and all of these different things. Like, let's let this be a blood transfusion. Let this, let this be the body. Like, let this be transforming to who we are. That this is, a, this is not just a symbol, but this is the this is Christ becoming in us, that this is him becoming, us becoming like him, that this is that moment that we actually go back and go, all right, let's stop for a moment. Let's think about what the Bible says and that he has united us together in him. And this is a place that we can do this, that this is a place that we can come together as one doing all of this in this right here in Holy Communion.